This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. First time I ever went coon hunting, I was nine years old, and it was the start of the worst addiction I've ever had. <laughs> I mean, I, I can remember everything about it. That's Jake. When I started this podcast, this is kind of what I had in mind. Meeting basically complete strangers and going on some adventures with them. I want to record before, during, and after some of these experiences. And it was a little messy. I have to apologize ahead of time. There is a lot of background noise between driving in the truck, walking through the fields and the trees, the dogs barking. It, it was a hard one to edit for me. It's multiple clips put together. I tried to be in the moment as much as I could and soak up as much information from Jake that I could. This is my first time coon hunting and I had a blast. It it genuinely surprised me how much I loved it. At this point, I had only met Jake once. We met at a Pheasants Forever Women in the Outdoors event where we were both mentors to a new female hunter. We got talking over lunch. And I was just fascinated by his lifestyle and just him. He's an amazing human. Someone I think is going to be a friend for a lifetime. Jake competes in coon hunting competitions across the United States. He's a professional waterfowl guide and has like these crazy adventures and lives very nomadically. Like he is taking the trip, taking the chances. 
living his best life. And I am so grateful to have met him and had this experience with him and to call him a friend. Jake and I go off topic quite a bit. And a lot of what we talk about keeps coming back to how miserable some of this stuff is. Like the hard work and the training and the walking and the bad weather in the dark. But it's all part of the experience and I'm obsessed. This is episode number seven, Pretty Well Miserable. Probably, probably coon hunting or uh, snow goose hunting. Uh, yeah, snow goose hunting or uh, coon hunting. Probably. I mean, it honestly it depends on what I'm after at the time. I mean, I, I grew up squirrel hunting. First, the first hunting I ever did was rabbit and squirrel hunting. So you know, I mean, sitting out in a timber, you know, chasing a squirrel, trying to sneak up on one. That's that's the base for I think everybody should you know learn how to hunt that way just to you know sneak around you know it might sound funny but you sneak up on a squirrel that's that's accomplishing something <laughs> I mean those, those little jokers are, are running around you know burying nuts and climbing up trees and chasing each other around but the whole time they're they're looking at what's going on around them for sure so Oh, I love it. Like, it's whatever you're, like, whatever moment you're in. Yeah. It's your favorite. I mean, I've, I've been absolutely blessed to be able to hunt every animal that I can think of at one point in my life or another, um, in more states than I could probably think of right now. You know, uh, I've done a lot of hog hunting down south with dogs, um, a lot of my hunting revolves around hound work, whether it's with dogs, uh, you know, uh, coon hunting with hounds, coyote hunting, um, you know, listening to a, a good beagle race, you know, chasing a rabbit. I mean, that's, it's just, you can't describe, you know, I mean, even, you know, seeing a bird dog point a pheasant or a quail, um, you know, seeing a lab, you know, I, I'm lucky to do a lot of snow goose hunting, you know, you see a... You see a lab go on a 500-yard blind retrieve. You know you line them up and just you line them up and send them, and just watch the mud fly. You know as it's as it's tearing out on a, on a good line. You know, uh, so that's that's just as important. You know, saving steps, retrieving waterfowl. You know, we hunt some pretty big marshes on the Mississippi that it's miserable walking around, but you know, sending that dog to go do its job is is pretty satisfying as well as saving me a heart attack. <laughs> and if you've hunted the Mississippi or down south, you know, hunt, hunting some of those rice fields down in Arkansas or Mississippi, 
it's pretty well miserable, you know, walking around. So that's uh. But you love it anyway. Oh yeah, God, it's worth it. I mean, when I I had the good fortune of living in Montana for a while, and I think I'd lived there for just a few weeks, and I helped a friend pack out a elk, and I had spent very little time out west and I'm fairly certain I had seven heart attacks (laughs) Uh, getting the elk off the mountain like legit like we parked and I was like well you you mean we can't drive closer and he just looked and laughed and it was it was only a couple miles you know each direction but my god it's miserable out there it is beautiful until you get off the road yeah I can't imagine like it would it's definitely goals for me to do a lot of different western hunts but just in the bluffy area of Iowa that I hunt I lose my breath every single time I can't imagine a flatlander like me going out west and packing in an elk like I can't I can't imagine it at all no you're not until you do it you'll never you'll never yeah understand it but seven heart attacks is the yeah I mean it was (laughs) I, I just figured seven was a pretty good number. I mean, a couple each trip, in and out. It was fun. I mean, it. You know, at the end of the day, it. Uh, it was worth it. I mean, you know, seeing the excitement of everybody and just being out in the country. I mean, you know, I exaggerate a lot with the seven heart attacks, but everywhere that you look every direction that you look out west is something new you'll never see in your next like turn turn of the head you'll never see the same thing twice yeah like so i lived in the i was living in uh, right outside bozeman montana which is it it's perfectly located in montana i think just because you have all the major rivers within a few hours drive and there's five different mountain ranges that you can see from Bozeman. I mean, you can see forever out west. I mean, so, you know, it's nothing to, you know, be able to probably look 50 miles, I guess. I don't, none of this is factual information, but it's it's sweet, you know, looking forever. Yeah, I've been out there a couple times, and the times that I've been out there, not, not to hunt or anything, but the entire time I'm there, I'm like, why don't I live here? Everywhere I look, actually, like, my trip to Montana is what inspired me to start fly fishing because I'm like, I want to go out there and fly Mm -hmm. fish. That's actually where I learned how to fly fish at. Uh, (laughs) A guy taught me, who, in my opinion, is the best fly fisherman in the world. He's, uh, he's just about done it all, fly fishing, and that's what's neat, like, having him teach me, and he, he was hard on me. (laughs) There's there's no getting around it. He's a very you know intense person, but you know when you're learning it, it's the best way to do it. I think you know he taught me how to row a drift boat. You know I'm I'm mentally broke a few times. You know uh, you know in the shallower water. You know as awesome as it as it is. You know there's another thing about being from the Midwest is having no idea what fast water's like (laughs) and it's ripping out there you know and that's just every you know that's just what it is um 
so it's there's very little room for error in some places out there yeah. you know it's yeah. that's one thing that opened my eyes you know even if you're hiking or on the water or fly fishing you know it's, it's beautiful and it's awesome but the danger is definitely there that's what's all you know the, an, another part of montana you know is you get 10 minutes outside of bozeman and there's zero cell phone reception you know so you kind of got to take that into consideration you know you've equated pain misery and danger a lot with fun so yeah. far <laughs> i'm telling you yeah i don't know why but i've everything that i enjoy doing is, is pretty well miserable at one time or the other like last last night uh i turned snitch loose off a tree to make her go hunting off a tree she just made and she ended up like 1.2 miles away and that's a really long walk yeah that is a long walk yeah so i kind of gotta be i kind of pick and choose where i turn her loose at because she hunts so hard so she's just like wide open as fast as she can so it's we're going to be hunting some bigger ground tonight. We might have to walk a little bit, but never hurt anybody. I don't have to run. No, there's no, no, no. <laughs> okay. I, I, I only run when I'm being chased. Okay. Not much, Perfect. Not much in Iowa scares me enough to run from it. Okay. <laughs> it's neat, you know, how we met at the Pheasants Forever deal. Uh, the woman's, uh, the Pheasants Forever woman's hunt. Um, I talked to you about how neat it is seeing, you know, the, the, the turnout, you know, and, and how many people, and, it's, and, it, and it is a growing trend, you know, in the last few years, you know, of people wanting to learn about hunting and fishing and trapping and, you know, anything outdoors, you know, they want to get outside, you know, it's such a hard it can be such a hard deal to get involved with or to learn about if you're not brought up with it in the situation I was, you know? Yeah. And I think this is probably going to go down a rabbit hole, but I think the increased curiosity about it all is I think there is this huge need, um, what's the word I'm looking for like mental health and people realizing what nature can do for them and just getting a little bit of that exposure and you realize like wow my stress isn't getting to me so bad I'm not thinking about how crappy my job is or how crappy my relationship is or what I look like or feel like or you know this awful thing happened to me I feel like it doesn't really matter what it is if it's hunting related or fishing related or just hiking, I feel like when you get exposed to that and you pay attention, you realize like how healing it is for you. And I, th I think that in this world, like we're, we're animals, we're like, we're human beings. We're supposed to be in touch with nature and we're just not. And so I think when you get exposed to it a little bit, it, I, I'm, this is, I think part of it is it just your curiosity strikes and you want to know more and you want to feel good. And that's kind of like when you're talking about all these things that you think are fun, but yeah. they're related to misery <laughs> and yeah. some level of sucking. Yeah. There's some, there's something to be said about, you know, something that's hard work. It makes you feel good. It makes you forget about all the other 
stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to think that is getting people's curiosity. That's that's a hundred percent true, in my opinion. Um, it's like it's such a tool for escape of reality. It doesn't matter if it's just going for a walk on your local trail or you know, setting decoys to waterfowl hunt or turning a dog loose to coon hunt. You know, any opportunity you get, whether it's an hour, five minutes or an hour, you know, go out there and check out for a little bit and just enjoy it. You know, I mean, take it for what it is. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, this epic, awesome hunt or, you know, catching the monster fish. So it's more about, like you said, the self-healing. Like, one, you know, I have a pretty crazy schedule. And when I'm out coon hunting at night, you know, there's so many people don't know what peace and quiet is or are able to look at the stars. And that's one thing that's nice about coon hunting is usually there's not a lot of people out, you know, on the country roads or, you know, out in the timber, obviously, at night and you don't hear people's voices and you don't hear the cars driving up and down the road and honking and it's it's pretty neat you know no being able to like hear what quiet is yeah you know whether it's you know you know a mom getting overran by her kids you know around the house and needing something to do and you know, going out for a, a, a walk or a hike or, you know, going and just wa- looking at the water, watching the river flow by, you know, when the dad gets home or, you know, taking the kids to the park and just sitting on the swing and just enjoying it for what it is. Too many people put a number on something or it has to be this, has to be that. And it doesn't it just be what it is. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And that, I was, you had joked earlier that we've known each other for a whole 20 minutes since that Pheasants Forever event last weekend. Mm -hmm. And obviously we like struck up conversation about people getting, you know, getting in into this women getting into hunting for the first time. And then got to know you a little bit. And it sounds like you do a lot of everything. And that was, like, really intriguing to me because I think I think it's really great people who are um, maybe a specialist in, like, one area or they go really hard during the rut and, like, that's their thing. Or they're diehard um, waterfowl hunters or, you know, whatever it is. I think, that, I think that's great, too. But I kind of love it all. Like, it's really hard for me to pick. I do have, you know, bits and pieces that are my favorite, like working with my bird dogs, pheasant hunting. Working with my own dogs is, like, super special, and that is really hard to beat. But then, like, we were talking about, like, the spitting and drumming of a, of a tom. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it gets me just as jacked up, and I, it, I love it all, and it is really hard for me to focus in on one thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, was that a buck that we just drove by? I think so, yeah. That's... It's, uh, that ground where I left is, uh, pretty much all Ron Holden's. I don't know if you know or have heard of yeah. that guy. Yes. He's 
he's a pretty awesome guy. But yeah, that's burning half of his ground right, gotcha. right over there. Like I thought I saw a rack in yep. the ditch in the corner of my eye. It's pretty well a refuge down in that area. Gotcha. So what is like an average week look like um, <laughs> for you? <laughs> uh work when I got to and chase everything I can. Um so I I coon hunt and when I when I say coon hunt it's kind of a broad term but I I'll hunt if I you know there's there's kind of trying to figure out how I want to word this. Coon hunting is a, is a very much a dying sport um, just because it's so hard. It's not that it's hard to do, but you got a small window to do it and it's in the dark hours. Um, so I'll probably be off topic from describing my week, but it's okay. hard to stay on topic. But It's okay. Um, so I'll hunt. If, if I'm getting ready for an event or a dog ready for a competition or an event, if she needs it, I'll hunt five nights a week, you know, if there's things she needs to work on, whether it's accuracy or, you know, how she's hunting or, you know, keeping the dog in shape. Um, I'll hunt, you know, three to five nights a week for, you know, maybe three weeks to a month before it, you know, just to get it ready. Um, to where I feel it's ready. Um, I do some landscaping work in the summer for uh, a very close friend of mine um, in North Liberty now, Jeff Carew, for landscaping. There's his plug. <laughs> uh, but I'm very blessed to work for him in that he's the most understanding person in the world when it comes to my schedule and, and how much I travel and gallivant all around. The call Jake takes is actually his good buddy Merlin, who you hear from later in the episode. Uh, we meet up with Merlin and his dog and uh, hunt some coons. So that's, you know, the one thing that's neat about the competitions is that takes you all over the country is you learn and understand like each dog is suited for something different. Like sometimes the dogs from the north struggle because there's not as many coons down south or vice versa. The dogs from down south struggle up here at times because there's too many coons. They're like, oh my God. So we're standing here in the dark in a field and we just let your dog go. And we're now coon we're, hunting. Yeah. And what, what are we, uh, so what are we waiting for? So I just turned this dog loose, Snitch, and she's out there trying to find the scent of a raccoon, and only a raccoon. Um, you know, some dogs, you know, a lot of hounds get the rap of, you know, chasing deer all over, um, chasing animals off game, stuff they shouldn't. And I think, I think it's kind of a, to a point, it's a wives' tale, you know, um, where, you know, they're, they're running deer out of the country, chasing coyotes, chasing fox. I mean, some dogs will, you know, run some off game once in a while, but, 
especially like the type of coon hunter that that I am like for the competitions is you can't have your dog messing around with a lot of stuff other than coon because if if you're out there chasing a deer all over that wide open field you know my dog could slip through here and, and tree a couple coons and you know and beat you so you're gonna you have to train you know to get your dog to you know stop doing that you know and there's several ways to go about that but um yeah that's her deal and this is the the best tool in coon hunting right here hear that right there mm -hmm. that's her so that bark right there just means she smells a coon she smells the track now she's going to follow that until it runs up a tree or in a brush pile a hole Not that it really matters, but I forgot the gun in the truck. I was wondering why so we, we didn't might, have a gun. <laughs> we might we might give this if, if she trees one here, we might give it a free pass. Okay. So they you probably can't pick the audio of it of her barking. But like what you're actually listening for there's three different I don't want to talk too much so like you personally can't hear the different barks but there's three types of barks a, a hound a treeing hound makes and like that is her bark for like when she's smelling one hear that bark right mm -hmm. there how that was different mm -hmm. that means she thinks she is where that coon went up a tree so that's called her locate like that means that hey you know i think it's right up here come get it you know and then she'll roll it over into more a steady bark a steady chop um and then she'll make that bark until she gets off that tree and that could be as fast as it takes to get into her or, you know i've had i've had a dog stay treed five six hours before you know and it's just you know like that dog got across the river that we had to go get a boat to get across because <laughs> i wasn't about to swim it <laughs> so, man i should be videotaping this right now too so like you can see what's awesome about these garments is that you know there's no secrets as to where the dog's at mm-hmm and I think, based on what she's doing, I'd say she's on the river. Where, zoomed in too much. So that's the track she took. She's actually running, she ran on a trail. But you can see, you can zoom in and she's like right on the river bank. So that's part of the training or part of like, why I spend so many hours with a dog getting ready for competitions is because you have it's it's a hundred percent random draw as to like where your who your guide is like they have an event right and it could be open to anybody that wants to come to it so they have local people come and take you to their coon hunting which you know could be good or it could be really crappy you know it's just the luck of the draw uh, as to you know who your guide is mm -hmm. um 
so you have to try to train and put your dog in so many different scenarios so it can you know like when it goes when i go down to texas and hunt in a you know a dang creek bottom with a briar thicket that it's all briars and you know hedge and you know small trees scrub oaks um she'll be used to hunting in that situation um or you know like when she's down in georgia you know hunting in a million acre timber you know hunting in iowa you know a, a small timber or a river bottom you know with fingers running off of it you know you as a trainer need to put that dog in every situation you can because it's a waste of time if you're not prepared time and money if you're not prepared to go into that place with your dog knowing what it's getting into you know if that makes sense it does make sense when did you start training them um i got my first dog i think when i was probably 14 or 15 um first time I ever went coon hunting I was nine years old and it was the start of the worst addiction I've ever had <laughs> I mean I, I can remember everything about it you know just hearing that dog do what he was doing and, and it was fortunate enough to be a pretty good dog um, like right here you know like so just based on what she's doing she's either like on the riverbank or she's guessing that she doesn't, like she's on a high part of the bank and she's not wanting to like get down and, and actually finish a track out, which is one fault that she kind of has. Like if she can't, she's gonna go to where the track ends and she'll get frustrated and like not move on like she should. And that's just kind of what it sounds like is happening right here. Figure out how to like get past that obstacle. Um, that's one thing she's not good at. How old were Snitch and Monster when uh, they started training? Snitch was, I think she, she trained her first like turn loose coon when she was seven or eight months old, nine months old maybe. Um, which so much with hounds, um, it's, it's more detrimental to start them early than, than late. Um, because if they get overwhelmed, like if a coon whoops their butt or, you know, you don't want them out there just like walking next to you as much thinking that that's okay because they have, you know, they have a job to do when you turn them loose and you want them to go hunting, you know, whether it just be following the old dogs and sniffing around when the old dogs are hunting, you know, that's maturity is so much. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, you never seen people mess with dogs before they were like a year, year and a half old. And now, six, eight months old, you got people, you know, messing with pups and them training coons, you know, by themselves. It's, it's, it's amazing to see how far coon hounds have came with the early starting ability. Um, yeah, and that's so different than bird dogs because, I mean, there's people doing work, like, work to help their stress level when they're four days old yep. <laughs> like yeah. i'm not, like not kidding yeah. you know like that's yeah. that that's crazy yep. the difference but it makes a lot of sense like there i mean she's obviously quite a distance from us yeah I think much further than like my bird dog would get from me so like right now she's 435 yards away there she's trade right 
So what I was guessing is she didn't want to swim that river. And based on the bird's eye map, she got down and swam the river. Went up, there's a bluff over there that we might just cross the river now and walk up on that side. But you hear like, you hear the repetition of that bark now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Might be able to pick that up. But uh, that's what she'll do till we get there now. Um, so yeah, that's that's coming up. So like, as soon as they're treed, they can't move anymore. So like, so much is riding on treeing them when they're actually treed, not versus maybe they might make a locate here or there or something, you know. Because if you say tree or dog and it leaves, it gets minus pipes. Yep. And you gotta, it's hard to recover from minus pipes. You don't really want those. So yep. You gotta be careful. Yep. Very just, you it's have to. a little tougher if a dog is like maybe in a hole or junk pile or something like that because they don't tree like they normally do. They might not stay. So you gotta be pretty careful. There's just thousands of different variables. His dog though. Like I would, treed. yeah, yeah. I, w I would, tr I would, I would snitch, and as soon as I say tree snitch, the judge starts the time. We can't walk in there for five minutes, unless my dog would happen to tree somewhere too at the same time. Yep. Then you can go in. If one dog is treed and the others are not treed, you gotta wait five minutes. Mm. Yep. See now, yeah. Allie took that track, and now she's working to the left. And then, I mean, there's more likely different tracks. I mean, there's been nights when we've treed six, seven coon and seen twenty plus in here. Yep. I mean, this cornfield here is just. And that 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 touches back on luck of the guide. You know, when you travel to an event or an event around the house, you know, you have to have a good guide if you're gonna trade a lot of coons. You know, they have to know how to hunt the woods. They have to know, you know, generally where the coons are at. You know, you can know after you do it so long, hey, we're in November, them coons are gonna be eating corn. They're gonna be around the cornfields because they, they're storing up for winter. So, you know you need to be hunting around cornfields like this. Um, say in, in July or August, you know, the berries are on, or the raspberries, mulberries, stuff like that. So you're going to want to hunt around those trees because the coons will actually, it sounds funny, but the coons will migrate to, to the food source no matter what. You know, different times of the year, you're going to have different food sources. Also in the fall in like October, they'll go to like oak trees where acorns are. You know, they're just like deer. They love acorns. So normally, if you see a standing cornfield, Oak trees and water. That's guaranteed coon. I mean, that's coon's gonna be there. When you go to hunting trial and you a guide takes you somewhere and you get out of the truck like right here, you're like, yes. If you go to a spot and they dump you out and it's like evergreen thickets, stuff like that, it's probably gonna treat a coon in Iowa, but you're not gonna treat lots of them. Yeah, they're just they're they're a creature, a habit, no no different than a deer or any other animal. They they gotta have. They gotta have food, they gotta have water, and they gotta have protection, whether it be like their den tree or a hole they can live in or, you know, somewhere to hide, you know, and live, sleep. 
Merlin, how long have you been doing this? Ah, uh, I graduated in 81, so it would have been about 77. It's a long time. That is a long time. And you still love it. years. <laughs> I, I do. I really enjoy it. I don't hunt as much as I did um, probably my hardest hunting was early 90s to about 2006 is when I went to a lot of trials and did I hunted really hard and um, when you get older you might slow down <laughs> uh, you know I did have kids in sports and stuff and they also travel like in summertime we were going to tournament softball and stuff you know that will affect things somewhat yeah yeah let's go see what the, the biggest the biggest change I see is 10 years ago I could hunt just about anywhere in the last 10 years I would say I lost 80% of my coon hunting spots as other coon hunters have too uh, different hunting I mean deer hunting has changed drastically mm -hmm. you know in the last 10 years uh, but hopefully tonight you'll see what we always see all the time we'll be walking along and there'll be deer 25 30 yards from it yeah that's what he I said mean, absolutely do not care which is just gonna kill me <laughs> <laughs> I mean we filmed them I mean took cameras of them at night I had a massive drop tine buck one night uh, we walked 15 yards from him into the woods dogs retreat we come back out like 20 minutes later he was still standing there um deer do not get spooked at all at night by dogs unless the dog chases them you know sure. they take off running after them that's one thing wasn't didn't you hunt didn't you hunt uh the bluff the, the night before keaton shot that what was it 190 incher yeah yeah i mean so that that, a, that puts a lot in perspective that within hours of of a coonhound being loose in the woods Within hours later, it was 191 inch. It was like the biggest, one of the biggest deer shot in Iowa last year happened within hours of, of a coonhound being in there. Yeah. I mean, it's probably been 10 years ago, but south of where I live, there was two 190 inch bucks that were shot that year on one small draw. And I hunted that draw hard all year long, you know, and it didn't matter. Um, and I like to bow hunt. I bow hunt, I shotgun hunt, I muzzleloader hunt. Um, I myself don't care. I mean, the places I hunt, I'll have no problem going in there, coon hunting at four in the morning if I'm going to be in there at six, you know, for an hour, because it you you see it all the time. If you're not out there doing this all the time, you'll no, never see it, like, so you don't know. That's like super motivating as a deer hunter to get out here at this time and yeah. see what's in the area that you're hunting yeah. right. as well. Yeah. Like that's that's really cool. Yep. Okay, we'll go in there. I'll grab the gun. We touched on earlier how. I got into like coon hunting and the competition side of things and I I am incredibly blessed. I've I've said that a lot already, but in in my life, um in the competition aspect of things, a guy by the name of Jeff Rickliffs from when when I first met him, he lived in West Lafayette, Indiana. Um that guy did a whole lot for me in the competition aspect of things, you know, through teaching me, you know, the, the various rules. Um, 
I, I t- he was my hero, you know, growing up, you know, he was winning all these events, you know, he had won more money, you know, I, th- I think he's, I don't know anymore, but at one time he was like the second winningest, you know, money winner in PKC, you know, and that's, that's really speaks for itself. Um, so I, you know, my parents gave me the freedom to go out to Jeff's house, you know, about once a month, at least, you know, for several years, um, Jeff got me, you know, several dogs to hunt, you know, when, when I was a teenager growing up, um, you know, and he was, he seemed to always have, you know, one of the best dogs in the country. And, you know, I got some, you know, very good dogs from him, you know, the last, I've been very fortunate the last probably seven, eight years I've hunted dogs for Billy Cochran in Georgia. Um, Billy's a pretty awesome guy. You know, he owns, you know, a handful of the winningest dogs, you know, all time. Uh, that, that means a lot, you know, that's why we do this, you know, is to compete. And he's got, he's got, uh, a guy, you know, Steven Smith pretty much does, you know, a lot of his, you know, uh, handling and, and managing the dogs that they're, you know, buying and selling and, you know, competing with, um, Steven's done, you know, in the last few years, a lot for me, the dog that I have right now that I'm hunting snitch, she's actually, you know, from a, a cross that Billy and Steven, Josh Watson made, um, from a dog that they owned that just actually recently passed away in the last couple of years. Um, a dog named threesome, um, wipe out threesome he uh he won the pkc world hunt i think two years ago now you know which which is incredible in itself but you know they've they've been very good about you know having their you know own lines of dogs and genetics that they've carried on year after year and you know they're very selective in the breedings that they do you know to try to produce the best dogs um it's it it's the, the people you meet and the friends you make at these hunts, you know, I could, I could list, you know, a hundred different people. Those, those, you know, those few guys have impacted my coon hunting, you know, the most, you know, you look at, uh, Chad Doolin from Arkansas, you know, I, it's funny, you know, you meet somebody at a hunt one time, like I met Chad, you know, at a hunt over in Northwest Iowa. And he goes out, you know, and has the winningest dog in the country one year and literally calls me up out of the blue and says, hey, you want to hunt my dog? And it's like, oh, my God, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so uh, that was a dog named uh, Habit's Bad Son. Um, I think he won. He won the national, <clears throat> excuse me, the national race, um, I, I think, in 2010. And I got to hunt him 2011 and 12. And, you know, I got to travel all over the country, you know, competing with him. And he was one of the most fun dogs that I've ever hunted, I think. Simply because it's like he just had a way of training coons and competing that allowed me to win, you know, everywhere I went. You know, I think I won with him from Iowa to Tennessee, Illinois, Michigan, 
Ohio, you know, everywhere I went, I just knew that I could win with that dog. And that's, that's one thing, you know, there's a huge pride factor, you know, in competing for the guys, you know, and, and, you know, putting their names in the magazines and, you know, you're fortunate enough to win some money along the way, but it's like, you know, this is how we compete now. And on the level that we compete, it's, it's why we do it, you know, um, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's just awesome, I guess I would say. I've, I've been so fortunate to hunt some of the best dogs or hunt with some of the best dogs in the country. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 I've seen, you know, both sides of coon hunting in that it's, you know, the competition aspect and, and then, the and then just the pleasure hunting aspect and, you know, the, the people I've met, I feel confident that if I was taking a road trip through just about any state in the country, if my truck could break down within an hour, I could have somebody, you know, coming to help me. And, and there's just not many things and activities nowadays that you can have that opportunity yeah. to impact people. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what coon hunting and the competitions have done for me. Um, I'm lucky. Um, you know, I I I'm lucky enough. Like uh, the guys, one of the owners, you know, of like Havoc Hunting Supplies. You know, they they deal with, you know, everything hound related. Whether it's you know pads for your dog box you know, dog boxes, dog houses, you know, all the tracking equipment that I use, they've always, you know, no matter where you're at or what you're doing, if you can get them an address, they'll send you, you know, if you order something, they'll send it and you'll have it in a matter of days. Like I was, I was actually guiding down in Arkansas last year, year before, and I put a hole in a pair of boots and I called Steven up and and he had me boots to a hunting cabin in Arkansas in three days. You know, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, have impacted those guys, um, Stephen and Ryan Eady, in that, you know, no matter what I need, wherever I'm at, you know, they're there for me. So that's, you know, that that's a testament of, you know, what hard work still works, you know. So I'm blessed just to... to you know, call those guys my friends and call them up whenever you need something. They'll call you just to, you know, hear your voice. Apparently I'm kind of, I'm a fun guy to be around, I guess. I, I feel so most people want to be around me. Yeah. That's And and hopefully, you know, I've brought some light to that. And you, you've got to see firsthand what coon hunting is, you know, and, and how far it could take you. Because here I am today. Yeah, I believe it 100% because I, I can't believe, like, the friends and connections and experiences I've, I've been able to have in just the short time of, like, really throwing myself into this. Like, I've, I've been a hunter a long time, but making it much more, like, bringing other people along with me and joining different conservation groups and coming to coach and everything like I've just 
has brought a lot of joy to my life. Um, and I have a lot of really amazing friends to, to your point. Like if I was stuck somewhere or needed help, uh, field dressing an animal or, <laughs> you know, wanted to invite someone over for some, for dinner or vice versa. Like they invited me over. Like, that's just like, there's just like this community of people that I, I didn't know I needed in my life. Um, that I'm really happy to have. So I can't imagine with the amount of time you've put in and coon hunting being kind of a special group of people. Like it's not, it's not super for me. Like it's not mainstream. Like I, I, I don't know much about it. I don't hear much about it. What I know about it is really old school. So I think that's great. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's something that you can immerse yourself in. There's no doubt. Um, you don't know that you need those people around until you need those people around. In today's society, you know, I was 17 years old driving four and a half, five hours out to, Jeff, you know, Jeff's house when I was 17 years old. You know, and I'd spend the weekend or four days out there and hunt and, you know, like, Jeff, like, okay, so at the time, that's what Jeff did for a job is... um he trained dogs for, you know, at the, at, when I, when I first started going out there, um, for, uh, John Burgess, um, that owned a dog named Hardwood Henry. And he was just, you know, these names of these dogs, <laughs> you know, it, it's so goofy, you know, like, you know, Henry, you know, you, you had Hardwood Henry, you had, you know, back in the day, you know, bad habit, um, you know, uh, there was a, a wild clover you know, who was an incredible dog. He had a stylish whitey. Um, Half-breed Jesse was, was an incredible dog from Iowa. Um, you know, Merlin, you know, and people have kennel names like they do in bird dogs, you mm -hmm. know. Um, like Merlin, you know, most all his dogs have always been English River or something or another. Mm -hmm. You know, English River Clover, English River Jake. Um, yeah, ours are Covey Rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, and, and that's what, you know, you would always know, like, um, like, uh, like the wipeout line of dogs is, is a very historic white type, you know, type of, or I guess genetic of, of the Walker, train Walker Coonhound, you know, probably one of the all time winningest lines of dogs are, are the wipeout dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you had like, like the dog I hunted habits, bad son was, was out of bad habit, you know, or Tequila Sunrise was another incredible dog. Um, stylish Harry, you know, you know, Nocturnal Nailer, you know, I could, I could go on with all these goofy names, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I got a dog, I, I call her Snitch, but you know, her registered name is Snitches Get Stitches. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and God, she's amazing. yeah. Who would, who would want to mess with her? She just brings, you know, the you know, that, that wow factor of having a name like that, you got something to live up to now, you know? Uh, but you know, anyway, um, so like Jeff hunted this dog named Henry, you know, and then, and then they, you know, in a roundabout way, the Burgesses kind of got out of coon hunting. A guy named John Strickland bought Henry, or I, I believe, I, I can't remember, but Jeff started hunting. Actually, no, John, I don't think ever bought Henry, but um, Jeff started hunting a dog for John 
um, named Bad Habit, you know, and, and he was an incredibly winning dog. Um, in my opinion, probably the best coon hound across the board to ever draw breath. He would do some incredible work, but the thing about him is he was bad about being junkie. Like he would get bored train coons and he'd go out and run a coyote or run a deer or, or you know, chase an armadillo into a hole, you know, just cause he was bored and it was something to do, you know, but he was so good about train coons. He just made it look simple. Um, you know, and, 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 and like any, you know, dog breeder across the board, they want, you know, the pups out of that dog to perform in the competitions and, and, you know, the right people to have those dogs, you know, that being said, I, I was lucky enough, um, John Strickland bought a, a pup out of, um, habit. John hardly even knew me, but just going off Jeff's word alone, he just gave me the dog, you know, I mean, and, and it was, he was a really good young dog, you know, when I was, you know, when I did what I could with him, John bought him back from me. He didn't have to do that after giving me the dog, but he did. You know, those are the kind of guys that you run into that are just awesome individuals. Yeah. You know, I mean, like um, Stephen and Billy gave me um, Monster, the, the dog that I had, the older dog that I have at my house right now. They said, here, you want a dog to hunt? Take him. You know, and he's an incredibly fun dog. But they knew that he wasn't getting hunted how he needed to be in Georgia. They're like, well, I'll send him up to him, you know. And that, you know, that means a lot that these guys aren't just going to give anybody any dog. So, you know, I earned it through my work ethic. And, you know, they knew me and I, you know, I knew them. And, you know, it started a great partnership that's still going strong, you know. So it's pretty awesome, you know, to have that accomplishment that that's a big part of the relationship you know it's a lifelong deal not just something that you know you do it for a couple years you know I go down there and visit those guys and and have fun you know going down there when in late uh late December and January when it's just Baltic cold up here in Iowa I'll go down to Georgia and hang out and it always seems to work out that it always snows down there or something, and <laughs> and they, they all blame me for it. <laughs> I give them, I give them all sorts of hell. But yeah, that I think that covers <laughs> that that covers everything. I think there's so much at stake. I'll have to find the picture. There was an old picture that really has a lot of truth like one of those memes or whatever and it and it said and this is dogs across the board that a man's ego is is a powerful burden for a dog to carry yeah because at the end of the day there's dogs you know and like it sucks going to an event and having them not operate and it's embarrassing to a point it sucks all the hard work, you know, that you put in. Like three weeks ago at the World Hunt. Um, on Thursday night to advance to Friday night for the quarterfinals, 
there was 1,344 entries over four nights, and if I would have won, I'd have advanced to the top 86, and I went out there, and I and I was judging, and I blacked out for about three minutes, and in that time, I gave my dog 200 minus. I struck the wrong dog, and I treated her when, when she wasn't treating. I knew she wasn't treating. I knew she wasn't going to stay. And I put the last month of every second of my life into getting ready to go to that. And I cost my dog advancing. I cost myself a paycheck, and I cost her. It's foggy. Um, I cost her the, that accomplishment, that title, that everything. Yeah. And you know that haunts me. Yeah. And 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 I can tell you. In 2005, I was hunting a dog named TT, and I was in the Super Stakes, and so it's an age division hunt where the one-year-old dogs hunt against the one-year-olds, two-year-olds hunt against two-year-olds, and it's five rounds to win, and I uh, I made it to the fourth round, and uh, she was a very accurate dog. Walking there, shine the tree. I know she's got it. I need to have it to win to advance to the finals. And uh, couldn't find it. I knew it was there. Walked 200 yards away, looked back, and there it was looking at me. If I'd have found that in eight minutes, I'd advanced. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that, you know, it always stings more. But, you know, that being said, you know, in the qualifying nights a few weeks back, you know, and, and every, any dog can be beat on any night, but I beat a dog that was in the top six, and I beat a dog that was in the top 24, you know, of 1,344 entries. <laughs> so, you know, I know what my dog's capable of, and there's a handful of people, you know, that I've hunted with that's seen her operate, you know. One of the one of the all-time winningest coon hunters Thursday night when I, when I messed up, she went on that in that same cache went on to treat three coons but because of the minus that I took you know she was jamming them yeah um, but because of the minus I took another dog didn't take any minus treat two coons and beat me yeah um, and that was that was Nikki Hale he's one of the winningest coon hunters competition coon hunters of all time he's had some phenomenal dogs you know he asked he asked to price her right there I was like damn I can't I can sell about any dog. There's been two dogs that I don't think I could sell, and that's her. And uh, I think probably my second real good dog, Lady. I couldn't sell her. But at, you know, to a point, these dogs are a tool. You know, because you gotta like like the the field hunters, the the field trialers, the bird dog folks. You know, not every dog. Not every lab can run a good line. Not every, you know, uh, I dated this girl that, you know, she was big into Springer Spaniels and, and is one of the most successful right now Springer Spaniel people out there right now in the field trials. And uh, uh, not every Springer Spaniel has, you know, the flush that it takes to compete you know, the drive and, you know, how they work. 
has, you know, not everyone can compete on the level that it takes to compete. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. You know, I don't care. You know, there's another old saying that as long as you're happy feeding it every day, it give a damn less about who says what about it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's something... There's a lot to being happy with your dog. And, you know, a lot of these dogs, these big one and coonhounds get traded hands. And there's a lot to how well they do after they get sold. You know, and you can, you know, there's been, I know for a fact, several dogs, you know, have, I've known, sold for $40,000. You know, 20000 15000 you know. And there is money to be made, you know, at the bigger events, you know, if you got a good dog. But some dogs don't operate for somebody like they do, you know, somebody else. Yeah. Um, some yeah. dogs, you know, just click or it takes a while, you know, with other dogs. I, I hunted a female one time where she was a very quirky dog and she wouldn't hardly tree a coon for me the first month that I had her. But after we got on the same page and, you know, she she was one of the funnest dogs I've hunted in memory. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's just, you know, every dog has a personality. Yeah, you know. definitely. Do you have any, like, fears for coon hunting? I know, like, the future of it. Like, um, yeah, you know, um, there's... There's, you know, a lot of people that don't like hound hunting in general. You look at states like California, uh, parts of Georgia, um, Montana, where you can't bear or lion hunt with dogs. You know, um, that's that's scary because once that ball is rolling, you know, what where is it going to stop? Yeah. You know. There's, uh, there's a lot of laws on when you can hunt, when you can't hunt in other states. You know, there's a training season. We're lucky in Iowa, um, you, can, you can run a dog um, year-round training. You cannot turn a dog loose, you know, in ground nesting bird season from March 15th to July 15th on state ground, which, you know, it's, it's a tough deal you know, it's not, I don't think, necessarily geared for coon hunting as much as it is like, you know, bird dogs or, you know, just dogs out on a hike, you know, that, that are going to harass the, the ground nesting birds or pheasants with a nest, you know, stuff like that as much. Um, I'm worried, who am I going to pass this baton to, you know? Um, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, kids, you know, wanted to be outdoors more, you know, and now, you know, there's a Fortnite nation, you know, <laughs> Yeah. what are they, you know, what's, what's it going to take to get kids outside, you know, it, it's a tough sport, there's no doubt, you know, who in their right mind is going to let their 10 year old kid or, you know, 15 year old kid stay out, you know, all night or, you know, summertime hunting is miserable. And <laughs> that there's the misery, right? Uh, 
because it's it's 100 degrees out. There's bugs and there's weeds that are head that's head high. Um, skeeters are eating you up. You know, it's just not a fun time to hunt. You know, so that's tough. When um, how did you get like you had talked about when you were younger, like going out into the woods, like out back you know, eight, 10 miles away, but like, when did hunting start for you? Has it, or has it always been? It, it, it's always been. Um, I think I probably shot my first squirrel when I was five years old, I'll bet, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you. I, I, I feel that I can remember one of my first hunting experiences at that age. You know, I can remember uh, squirrel hunt with my dad and always getting drug, you know, hunting, fishing, mushroom hunting everything you know I'm I'm fairly certain that I can remember my dad lining up in the scope a squirrel as much work as that took you know and me getting you know looking through the scope and and pulling the trigger and getting it and then my dad having to go crawl in the briar patch to pick it up I can absolutely remember that you know Um, I can remember a lot of firsts my dad taking me hunting you know or my uncles my grandpa So, you know, again, you know, I can remember, you know, catfishing, growing up catfishing my whole life out to the reservoir right here. You know, um, they used to have a yearly catfishing tournament that several of the bait shops or people put on. And, you know, I, my dad and cousin wanted all the time. And then I got old enough to start being in it. Me and my dad, you know, wanted a few times or, um, you know, a very close family friend. You know, me and him was on a team. We used to fish a lot. Like, I can remember catching, you know, our limit of, you know, 15 or 30 catfish a day. You know, just big catfish, five-pounders, 30 of them, you know, in one day. And so, you know, even when it comes to fishing, I've been blessed. As, you know, growing up, it was just, you know, drowning in a nightcrawler with a bobber and, you know, calling that fish and not catching anything. It's like I've been fortunate, you know, to see what it's like to catch a whole pile of fish or, you know, it's... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm going with it, too, is, like, I, you know, I didn't grow up coon hunting, but I, I grew up hunting and was exposed to it, and I feel like maybe for some, like, yeah, I could see my dad not wanting to take me out coon hunting when I was five years old, but duck hunting probably made more sense, and because of that like none of this you know freaks me out in the slightest like I I like appreciate all the all the wonder like the stars and looking for other animals and the dogs working and looking at the deer rubs and scrapes and just watching like you and Merlin work together and seeing like their their eyes light up in the trees like all of that is like really exciting and like special to me and I I don't know if I would have that same like every I was like watching yeah yeah, every detail like every like the old cemetery and the the different (laughs) the tree like the legitimate metal ladder (laughs) stand in there like all of that is like part of the experience for me and I guess if if I hadn't grown up hunting I, I might not have appreciated all of those things right you know, I mean, coon hunting, you know, and rightfully so, coon hunting has gotten 
you know, such a reputation of just being a bunch of rednecks chasing a dog through the woods or, you know, you know, um, back in the day, you know, when, when, when the fur market was, you know, at a high and people were making money off, you know, kunites, you know, people go out and shining in woods and stuff like that. And, you know, people, people, the reputation of coon hunting, you know, is there again, it, it comes back to, it's scary that, you know, what's it, what's it going to take to change the reputation or, you know, it, it's, it, it is, it's a hot button topic of, you know, deer hunters and coon and hound hunters in general, whether it be coyote hunters or, or, uh, coon hunters, um, you know, getting along, you know, it's at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're all hunting, you know, a, a coon hunter and or a coyote hunter can be a great tool for farmers in that, you know, the, the, the corn damage, you know, that, that coons can put on in a hurry, you know, and just devastate a crop right now with, with corn being, you know, so cheap, you know, they need every bushel that they can get or like a, a coyote hunter, whether they be calling or with hounds, you know, saving every calf or, you know, even, even a, a deer fawn, you know, in the spring from the coyotes, you know, the more hunters get along, the more the, the end goal is going to be, you know, we need them just as bad as they need us, you know, in my opinion. Um, there's just so many misconceptions, um, where if somebody would just go coon hunting and, you know, look at that deer bedded down 40 yards from you when you walk by it, or even, even honestly, I, I've treated so many turkeys, like, uh, <laughs> the coons will be in the same tree as a turkey and, you know, that sucker will be up there just like, kind of like looking around, like what's going on down there, you know, and then, and then you know, you train McGuan or like the turkey will fly off, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's not, you know, your hunt's not going to be ruined if that turkey's not on the roost that next morning. You know, I've, I've bumped so many turkeys off in the morning and, you know, those suckers come back looking for their hens, you know, because they don't know why they got scared off. They don't know that it was a human. They just know that there was something down there scared them. They flew off, you know. Um, so that's, you know, that's a, another big misconception about hound hunters, you know. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I welcome everybody. I, I will take a hundred people coon hunting if that's what it takes to see that, one, it's not just a bunch of rednecks out there trespassing and, and you know, their dogs just chasing everything up trees and stuff like that and just show people, you know, the beauty of, of training a dog and watching it progress and then watching it treat coons and then, you know, starting your next dog as a puppy and the progressions of that, you know. It's, it is, it's, it's definitely a lost art. It's, you always hear about everybody's grandparents or grandpa that coon hunted, you know, back in the day and it's like, man, it's just awesome. When I used to go with my family down to Missouri, we went, my family had a cabin down there, and we rifle hunted every year, and my dad talked about going down there when he was younger, and actually knowing someone that traded their daughter's hand in marriage for a coon dog. <laughs> that, can, that, can go, that can go both ways. 
you know I mean if that sucker was valuable it could have made a bunch of money and some hides but you know maybe if she wasn't any good at doing dishes she uh she had to earn her keep and you know she wasn't holding up her end so I like you know, that couldn't have been that long ago but yeah. I mean in Missouri maybe maybe that you know it's, it's the age-old adage if you know you trade the lower tier of of counties in Iowa and the upper yeah. tier in Missouri are <laughs> raising that. the IQ in both states. Yeah. Yeah. My uncle had the same joke that he would say over and over again. We went to the Walmart to get our tags or food for the week or whatever. He'd be like, no, don't smile. You got all your teeth. They'll like you. You know, <laughs> they like that. Yeah. Strong that character is, quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something... You know, and, and, and like I say, um, it's it's not just, you know, my enjoyment and my drive isn't just with, you know, I'm not buried to coonhounds, you know, kind of as much as I am, but I, I love to see, you know, a pointer out there doing its thing and just, you know, just be wide open, quartering back and forth and just lock up harder than ever just every muscle flexed out in his body pointing a bird you know or hearing those beagles strike a track and bring that rabbit around to you you know it's taking something that's totally wild and harnessing you know when you turn that dog loose to go bird hunting or you know when I when I cut a coonhound loose and I cast him in there to see those suckers you know throwing mud in your face and just being a rocket you know they have one job go do it you know that's all they think about yeah so that's all I think about thinking about them and you you travel all over the place and guide right yeah yeah I think I've been guiding waterfowl hunts for nine years now I'd have to look but I think it's like nine years now um where I travel all over the midwest know basically from Arkansas north and then in the fall from Iowa you know Missouri Nebraska South Dakota south you know following the the ducks south and then the white east back north for the conservation season Um, I've worked for a handful of different outfitters and and am blessed for the opportunities that I've had and been presented with and hunting out in Montana and waterfowl hunting and the guys that I know out there and and just every state you know that I've had the luxury or liberty blessed with the opportunity more than anything of, of hunting in every state that I have on you know a guiding scale or just going hunting having fun you know it's I've earned it, I guess, you know, by the hours put in. But at the same time, I can't even tell you how many, you know, first ducks or geese or, you know, fish that I've guided somebody to catch. And, you know, that's... I I can... It's a blessing. I mean, I'm, I'm so lucky to have the opportunity to see that, you know, morning and day after day. Because, you know, it might just be hunting or it might just be snow goose hunting to somebody, you know, that's done it for years. But that one person 
that's wanted to go on this hunt for their whole life or 10 years or um, that's all they've thought about that's their dream hunt you know seeing their eyes light up when you know a, just a big mob sits down in the decoys and it's so loud that you know you can't hear a person talk 10 feet away you know to call the shot you know seeing their face and eyes light up you know I had one of my first years of guiding I had a guy from Utah that traveled all over the world hunting like Russian brown bears and killed eight like uh, water buffaloes and you know this that and the other <laughs> and like I heard him talking about it was this like a legit story I heard him talking about uh where he's like I think he was gonna hunt Namibia or Zam somewhere over Botswana I don't know wherever he was going over in Africa I was like oh man you know you hunt over in Africa and he's, yeah I've hunted a few times over there and I was like well, you ever killed a water buffalo he's like yeah I think I've killed like seven or eight I'm like shut the front door <laughs> I'm like dude you're laying in a cornfield in Missouri and you've killed water buffalo he's like yeah he's like and I don't know if he I don't think he'd mind me saying his name. His name's Kip. But I was like, Kip, you got to be real. Like, you've, you've killed a Russian brown bear. And now you're laying hoping that, like, some <laughs> snow geese are going to, like, stop their migration to come eat some corn. He's like, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And this this is so true. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're hunting as long as you enjoy it. I mean, he's he's been, he's an old, kind of an old feller. He'd been hunting his whole life, and he's like, I've never shot a snow goose. Hardly ever seen one in the wild. I wanted to see what the story was. And I was like, wow. That's, it puts a lot in perspective. It's like totally neat. Yeah. Because, Those are my people. Yeah. I mean, it's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I love that. You know? I, yeah, I really appreciate that. And that's cool to hear, like, I, you know, I don't know how old he is, but someone of, like, a different generation than me, older than me, yeah. to feel that way. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. One of the neatest, you know, stories. Um, I have a group of guys out of Michigan that I've hunted for like four years now, five years, and we could just never hit it right, you know, on a big snow goose hunt. And uh, we'd kill, you know. 10 or 20, 30 a day, and they were pumped, um, which is sweet, you know, I mean, there's no guarantee, especially chasing a snow goose over decoys, and it's like, you know, I always wanted to put them on that, you know, big hunt, you know, big shoot, and old Phil, his, his, uh, his boy's name's Gordy, he's, he's a pretty awesome guy, they're, I've, like, I'm so blessed to, like, they're friends, you know, they, I think it was last year, they, uh, we had, like, two tough hunts, and they were on a three-day hunt, and they, uh, the last morning, I mean, I knew, that, I was really optimistic, I knew it could be a big one, um, I found a feed that a bunch of young birds were using, and it was, the roost was positioned where they wouldn't, it was a big win, the roost was positioned where they wouldn't ever hear a shoot. And I think we shot 
130 by 9 a.m. I mean, every, everything was just going awesome. And, like, Phil is, like, really quiet dude, but, God, he's awesome. And uh, he was, like, teared up. He's, like, old dude, and he's, like, he'd never seen anything like that, and he'd been, he'd just dreamed of it forever. And it's, like, man, that's why I do this. It's, like, so, you know, that guy's hunted for 50 years, at least 60 years, and he had just never seen, you know, what I'm lucky enough to see, you know, a handful of times a year. And that's, you know, I put so much on myself as a guide that I want everybody to have the best hunt they can and be replaying every second of that hunt five years from now in the middle of the summer when it's brutal hot and everything sucks. But, you know, that's why I do it. I've, there's 50 other stories I could tell, you know, like that. It's, you know, I'm I'm just blessed and lucky more than anything. I think there's a lot of people that would be really attracted to your lifestyle, but it's intimidating. You know, it's like how do I even how do I even attempt that? I don't know. Do you have advice for those those people? You got to do it. You, I mean. There's not been one person that's invented something in life or started the biggest business in the country that wasn't afraid. Like, you know, how many people, it was the last resort, you know, they they gave it a shot. Or how many big businesses do you see that started with the owner, you know, racing a check to the bank so he didn't go under you know, you got to, you, if you're afraid to do it, you're never gonna, you're always, you, you'll be 90 years old, laying in bed, regretting it as you die, and I, you know, I'm fully prepared to live under a bridge at some point in my life, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, like, I, I have a pretty cool story, you know, it's pretty neat, you know, but I've decided that this is what I want to live, I'm not gonna regret anything. Take the, always, always take the trip. One of my one of my closest buddies, you know, I've I have so many friends that started out, you know, as clients or people I met through hunting. Uh, one of one of my closest friends right now, um, a really big shout out to David Cosy, down in uh, uh, Florida, um, has kind of a little battle right now, cancer going on that he's going to whoop its butt here in a second as soon as treatment starts. But he, uh, we talk, you know, not as much as we should, but we do, we do stay in very close contact. Anyway, he called me one day and was telling me how pumped up he was about, you know, he seen this dog that was for sale and uh, it was a a yellow lab. And uh, he's like, man, this sucker, you know, he lines perfect. He marks everything. You know, he's such a good dog, but man, they want a bunch of money for him. And I said, you know what, you're going to be out if you don't buy the dog. He didn't really follow what I was saying. I said, all those steps that you're going to have to chase all these birds around. You know, I was like, man, buy the dog. Always, always, always buy the dog. Take the trip. Go fishing, you know. And the dog's gone on to, you know, be very accomplished in the field trials. And, you know, David doesn't regret it. And I still give him hell all the time. 
you know, I'll still say, hey, you know, remember when I talked to you into buying your favorite dog? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, yeah. I can be a pretty bad influence on some good people for that, you know, for that reason, just because, you know, I, I've always, I've always been blessed with having parents that 100% went way above and beyond for me. You know, my, my parents, I think I was 17 years old. I drove out to the middle of Indiana for a competition by myself. I mean, who in their right mind would let a kid do that? You know, but that was my passion and they knew they didn't have to worry about me. And they let me go do my thing. Now, if they knew that I about got in a wicked wreck in the middle of Indianapolis, they probably would never let me go anywhere else. But, <laughs> but hey, that's, you know, makes for a good story. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, never, never let doubt creep in and decide what you're going to do. Because then you're not living to be who you are. You know, take the trip. You know, go chase, you know, go chase a, a deer in another state or go chase ducks somewhere, you know. Go try it because you're not going to be out anything. It's There's never, there's never truly a bad trip. I don't, I don't, I don't think because how many times do you and your buddies load up and take that wicked trip? You don't know what's ahead and it's the best trip ever. You know, you remember telling all the stupid stories between Phillips, you know, getting gas or, you know, finding that big field of birds or, you know, getting on, getting on somewhere, you know, getting permission on ground, you know, and then going and having a good hunt. Um, it's, you, you just can't get stuff like that sitting at home. And that's, I don't, I can't sit still long enough. So that's how I occupy my time, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's been a hell of a run, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, like I, I, I have a, you know, small internet following of all the stupid stuff that I do. And, uh, it's mostly, you know find out how it's going to turn out after it's done type stuff. And I can't believe that because the more there's so much stuff that we talked about that wasn't recorded that I just, I, I like, cause it's not all about social media and you don't do it for the followers and you, you do it to live like your best life. And that's what this is all about for me too. It's like, yeah, I want to use social media as like a platform to encourage that, and in, you know, in return, like, this has added to my life great. Like, I will never forget this experience. Yeah. Like, this is something really, really cool that, like, I'm going to tell a lot of people about. And, like, you know, I, I don't have kids yet. But, like, if just introduce, I want to introduce them to all facets of hunting so they're well-rounded and they know, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe turkey hunting's not for them and coon hunting is for them, yeah. you know. But, yeah this has added to my life greatly and this is amazing. I haven't done anything like this before. So thank you Absolutely. so much. It's like I, you know, like I touched on earlier, you know, who am I going to pass this baton on to, you know, what, you know, I coon on a lot, but like you said, what if coon hunting's not their thing and turkey hunting is, what if, 
going fishing is, you know, all they think about, you know, growing up. Um, what kid, you know, was didn't want to be a professional bass fisherman or professional, you know, TV hunter, you know, growing up. Or the worst case scenario, they don't hunt or fish, but they have some, they have respect for it and they understand it. Right. Yeah. And that's still like an accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's, as long as it's being anything outdoors, even hiking, like just getting outdoors is being talked about, you know, as long as it's being talked about, that's, that's great because, you know, you know, and as, as long as people are communicating about it and talking about it, then it's, then it's, it's piquing their interest, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, what, what are they seeing this? You know, let's go try this, you know, in that woman's hunt that, you know, when we met, you know, I think I talked to three different women was legit their first time hunting. That's wicked, you know, especially, you know, it's like I said a handful of times at that event. It's like, it's so neat to see how brave and like bold, you know, it is one to be a woman and two to ask to go hunting three to actually have the opportunity. You know, you just don't get that stuff. It's so intimidating to, to, to ask for, you know, for instance, a female to ask a male to, Hey, will you take me hunting? You know, with the, with the culture that we're kind of fighting through right now, you know, where guns are bad, you know, hunting proves that, Hey, the guns are actually, you know, okay. Um, so now you're using that gun as a tool to provide for yourself, your family, for others, you know, now you can branch off that, you know, where are you going to take that? Well, you know, so now somebody that's never hunted is now carrying a gun, hunting and providing. Okay. Well, they're going to tell their friends that, Hey, it wasn't such a bad deal. Like, this is why I shot this animal, you know, um, tonight, you know, we, we, shot a handful of coons and you know firsthand you've seen the damage that the coons do to the cornfields you know that's somebody's livelihood right there raising the corn you know growing corn you know now we just you know help them out you know so that's a positive light um you can take it a thousand directions and i think the most healthy part about conversation is the education of it you know, the education of hunting, the education of, you know, what else is out there, you know, provide for yourself, provide for, you know, the world, really. A person could, you know, sit there and have an actual conversation, you know, and, and ask questions, you know, in that, in that hunting, in that, in the, in the pheasants forever hunt, you know, there was so many good questions asked and they're really honest. I, I promise you there's no stupid question because those women that had never hunted, how do they know, you know, the difference between a hen and a rooster pheasant, you know, if they have never been experienced to it. So that's the most exciting part is that they were willing to get out of their comfort zone to learn, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause it's hunters are a little bit of a club and then you break it down even more like into the, you know, whatever it is that they're hunting and, it can be pretty intimidating to say something stupid in front of a group that you want to be a part of. Women or not, you know, like yeah. it, it's just, it takes some bravery. Oh, it's, it's, it's so neat. You know, I, you know, I, it's like I said earlier, 
I've never mentored a hunt. I've taken hundreds of people hunting, right? But I've never been in that situation, you know, and to give back like that just makes me want to do it more. And, you know, I, I can't teach without, you know, getting out there, you know, whether it's making a silly video for Instagram, Facebook, or that, that social networking platform, you know, to get people out, out in the outdoors or make, you know, other, you know, silly videos, you know, um, ask questions, be the, be the person that always has your hand raised because you're not ever going to know, you know, the answer to that idea or, or thought in your head unless you ask. And there's so many more people willing to help than, than I ever realized and I've ever seen before, like in the culture that's changing, you know, the image is so positive and you know right now it's it's awesome to say the least i can't i can't say enough about it it's neat thank you a million times seriously night yeah you can cross that off your bucket list to go and coon hunting yeah well i'm gonna go again i'm doing this again I'm not going to take seven shots to shoot my first coon the next time. Yeah, that well, you know, you, you got you got something to improve on. And it's, and it's like <laughs> it's like it's like I told you before like like I think, you know, one a few reasons why coon hunting is obviously, you know, the greatest sport in the world is because you know, you don't have to worry about what scent lock suit you're having, you know, or you wear to the woods. Yeah. You can sit there on the tailgate and have a great conversation with five people. And it's not going to affect the coon that are sneaking up behind you eating the acorns. Yeah, you have to have strong neck muscles, though. Yeah. Just staring up into that tree. Yeah. I felt yeah. like a kink in my neck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah, great conversation. You can, you know, all you need to go coon on is, is a flashlight, a pair of boots, and, you know, jeans. You know, it's, it's, make it what No you shirt want. required. Yeah, no, I mean... <laughs> You'd have to be pretty bold and brave to, to beat the briars down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you'd just be a giant target for all the mosquitoes. Be a walking West Nile billboard. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. It's. I hope I can showcase it well and get some people inspired to... To, to try it or learn about it because I there's something very nostalgic about it you, you know even though I've never done it before um it just feels very it's mm, old school it's, it's old school yeah. yeah it's like well I mean you know you can take it back as far as like you know trapping and how the west was settled you know mm -hmm. yeah look at the beaver trade you know out west you know um up until a few years ago the fur market was was very profitable for trappers um you can, you know, in Iowa, small town Iowa, I'll bet over half of the families, you know, their income was stimulated by fur. I, I'll go out on a pretty strong limb and say that in a small town, over half the people had income based on fur, you know. And, and that's just something that you don't get, you know, coming out of a city. And a lot of people don't understand, like... Oh, why, you know, why do these people have to kill the coons or kill the coyotes, kill, you know, any fur-bearing animal? And it's because, you know, that's income. That's food for people. That's income, you know. It doesn't matter how you make the money. 
you know, make the money. You know, when when you have to provide for your family, it you know, it gets real fast. Yeah. So, yeah. no, I can't thank you enough. It's pretty been a pretty memorable night. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I appreciate your patience and Merlin's patience and just being really... You gave me, like, a really pleasant experience. Um, I didn't feel, you know, intimidated or or nervous. Yeah, or yeah. you did a really, you both did a good job of just, like, walking me through different things and explaining what was going on. And Yep. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely a low-key sport in that, you know, just... Who the heck, you know, would, would imagine that a dog could have a different barks? I mean, it's like we're with a modern-day Lassie Yeah, that's probably, here. that's, you know. like, actually one of my favorite, I, I don't know, I probably have multiple favorite parts, but just being a dog lover and a hunting dog lover, it, knowing your dog, like, there's things, like, you know, about my dog that I, I feel like I pick up and people would laugh at me about, and just knowing that's a thing. Like when you're hunting, that's actually something that you listen for from a distance and you yeah. can tell your dog apart from the next person's dog and you know exactly what they're doing and what they're up to without even looking at your Garmin. Like that's, yep. that's freaking sweet. Yeah. It's, you, you know, it's, it's definitely a bond. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, the best way to, you know, go about it. It's, it's, you get into the sport, what you put in, you know, everything is earned. Um, nothing's by chance. You make your luck at these mm-hmm. competitions, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, the, the best part about walking along, you know, as a person that hasn't ever coon hunted before is, is what I can imagine is, is just, there's so much, you know, some nights, you know, when, when the coons are moving good and the dogs are operating, there's a lot going on, not much downtime, but just like, you know, sitting on the tailgate, closing your eyes and just like visualizing that dog, you know, following that track, you know, and hearing it open, you know, that it smells the coon, you know, and following that track to the finish where it, it climbed, you know, the coon climbed the tree and the dogs found the tree that the coon's in, hopefully, you know, that, you know, just closing your eyes and, and, you know, and hearing nothing but silence and just focusing on that dog, and just being in tune, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, that the genetics of an animal come out so much in, in natural ability in a hound, because, you know, it's not a knock on, you know, bird dog hunters or anything, you know, a, a trainer, you know, with labs and, you know, upland dogs and, you know, any kind of bird dog, they can see a hundred percent of what their dog's doing, you know, to, to critique, you know, and, and focus that dog and, and steer it one way or the other, whether it's not bringing, you know, the object back to hand or, mm-hmm. you know, the line that it's taking or, or, you know, making it place, you know, you can see that and correct it, right. you know, right. when my dog's six tenths of a mile away, you know, and, and, making some weird barks i gotta you know know and and base how i train on what it's telling me through its bark mm-hmm. you know it's it there there's a lot of days where i wish i could have a, a rope tied to my dog <laughs> and, and make it come back to me or 
um, you know, you know, know what it's, you know, barking at or, you know, how it's running that track, you know, and know what kind of track it's running, you know, whether it's a five hour old track or, you know, he's looking at the coon running right in front of him, you know, that's one thing that is, is one of the hardest aspects of, of hound training is you're doing all your work based on what they're telling you. You know, you have to just, just listen and your dog's going to do what it's going to do. You have to decide how you're going to train on it. That's, that's a really big aspect, I think, of anything with hounds. Do you have any parting words? <laughs> your last, your last God, words. The, the words of wisdom from Jacob Humphreys. Jeez. Yes. You're, any, any viewer that knows me is like, Jesus, this would be epic. They'll have to sit down. <laughs> uh, thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to show you what I do. And why I do it. Um, thank you for, you know, shedding light on coon hunting. Shedding light on a nighttime activity of coon hunting. You know, it's dark. Um, thank you for the work that you put in with, you know, mentoring that you have. Like, it's, without you, the baton wouldn't be passed. You know. Same. Right back at you. It's thank you. It's real. Appreciate you. High five. <laughs> you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna shoot this rascal. And it's gonna roll clear down the hill. And I'm gonna have to walk clear down the hill to get it. <laughs>